Money Catcher Leadership Podcast brought to you by Foresight. At Foresight, we are cultivating healthy leaders to lead thriving organizations. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Please enjoy the rest of our show. Hey, friends, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Katrin, and excited for you to join me today. It has been a couple of weeks since we have had a guest on the podcast, but today we are joined by Liz Forkin Bohannon, who is the founder of Seiko Designs. Seiko is an ethical fashion brand that works to educate and empower women. By providing employment and educational opportunities, Seiko enables women to continue their education and become leaders in their country. You're going to love hearing a bit from Liz today. This interview went fast. I feel like there were a zillion additional things that we could have tried to talk about. Maybe we'll get her back for another episode. I really enjoyed this conversation with Liz and hope you do as well. Hey, friends, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to introduce my guest to you today. Liz Forkin Bohannon is joining us. And so, Liz, welcome. I'm glad to have the conversation today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I was quick to want to give all of your background, but we're going to cover that. And they've got a little bit of that in the in the intro. So I'd love to just kick off with just giving everybody a little picture of who you are and uh, what your world looks like these days. Oh, yeah. Okay. So my name is Liz. Uh, What does my world look like these days? I live in Portland, Oregon, full-time, more (laughs) full-time than I ever have, Uh, thanks to to COVID. Um, I live with my husband, Ben, who's also my company co-founder. We have two little boys who are two and four, Will and Theo. We live ages. Oh, they're, oh my gosh. They (laughs) are a hoot. Oh, they're so fun. That's so great. Especially four. Two is still a little dicey, I feel like, you know. Right. Catching good days, bad days. But man, four is such a blast. It's a really, really fun age. We live in an intentional community out here in Portland, Oregon. What does that mean? I feel like that's a weird buzzword, but we're really just exploring kind of the, what it looks like to live life uh, as friends who kind of operate more as family. Mm -hmm. So we've got kind of all share property and live within about three feet of each other and share stuff and life and finances and um, are really just kind of exploring this concept of what like true and deep and committed authentic community for the long haul looks like. And that's a pretty big and special part of my life. And then for my job, I run Seiko Designs. And I also have a podcast called Plucking Up. And I wrote a book. So that's that's kind of the like... All those things. Yes. All those things. I love it. You know what? That's so fascinating, the intentional community dynamic. Because I I read about that as we were prepping for the interview. Did you know the people before you joined the community? Or was it just like commit to the concept and then build the relationships? I'm so curious. Yeah, the relationships definitely came first for us. So we, we kind of built it all together. Uh So yeah, it just started out as pretty casual friendships, uh, several families. I mean, at the time we didn't have kids, we were married, but some single folks and some newly married, no kids in the community at that time. Uh, we were in our like, you know, early to mid twenties and all living in Portland. Uh, none of us had family here. And so I actually do really think that that really contributed to us being able to form some kind of deeper relationships and come to rely on one another in ways that I think if you're surrounded by immediate family, you tend to kind of, that's the more natural, like comfortable people to rely on. 
And so just kind of over the years, as we grew up and kind of started thinking about making these big life decisions, you know, like moving and buying houses and where we were going to really root ourselves in neighborhoods really became super committed to doing that together and kind of making those decisions together. And for us, the relationships really came first. And then we kind of made it a little bit more, uh, I don't know, formal is the right word, but we have since then had a couple other families that have kind of joined in and uh, it's been, it has been quite, quite the adventure, but it's definitely, I think one of the richest parts of my life. I cannot imagine living life not like this. I do get, it's quite rare. Like usually when I talk about it, people love to follow up with questions. And (laughs) it it is interesting to me that it is, it's a, it is a weird way to live life here in America, but it's, it's kind of the norm. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Globally, you know? And so it's interesting to be doing something that feels really just like, oh no, we're just getting back to the way that the rest of the world lives and that we've lived for many, many centuries that has just changed so dramatically in America in the last 50 years. Uh, I don't think we're rocket scientists and we're not reinventing the wheel. We're kind of just going back to the way things uh, I think used to be. Yeah, that's so good. Well, it's super fascinating because I'm immediately thinking from like the mindset of a leader and an entrepreneur and how, you know, typically what comes with those gifts and instincts is also a hyper-independence and... Mm. And so then I'm, I'm putting myself in your shoes and I'm going, oh, wow, there would be like a little bit of letting go of my sense of control or territorialism or, you know, some of those things to be more inclusive and really live in a community with intentionality as you guys are. So that could probably yeah. be a whole other podcast of its yeah, own. Yeah, totally. There's something in there of that, that willingness to be intentionally with others rather than so hyper-independent. Even in the team culture dynamics that we do with organizations, you know, a lot of it is helping people quit operating as individuals and really learn to, learn to work together. And so there's probably a whole like parallel conversation I could have with you about what you, what you're learning there, but. Oh, absolutely. And I, I honestly, like my whole life is community, like mm-hmm. how I think about my actual community completely infiltrates how I run my business, how I think about team dynamics, how I engage with my sales field, like really all of it is pretty intertwined and yeah, I for sure have some tendencies to say, no, I want to do it my way. This is the best way. And I'm far enough in that I can definitely say that it's not nearly as challenging as it used to be. Because I think you kind of build up, you see over time, at least I have, of just like, oh no, this is just unequivocally the better way to live. And those, those, it stops feeling like kind of a sacrifice or like a, a real effort and more of just like, oh, this is just like more of my natural way of existing right now is to bring other people into this and to be open to understanding and hearing how other people might experience this or be affected by this. And yeah, it's fun. That's so good. Yeah. I'd love if you're willing to speak to that a little more of like how that sense of community does influence how you lead your business and your team and so forth. Are there some practical application things there that have stood out in how you've led because of that value of community? Yeah. I mean, just to give you like a really acute example, we just launched this campaign. So we launched a coffee brand called Together Coffee just several months ago. It was kind of a response to COVID-19 and it's become a a pretty core part of our business and our line. And as part of like a coffee campaign, we actually have aligned 
um, this, it's called the Together Coffee Challenge. And we're really encouraging people to invite someone who might have a different perspective or experience to share one-on-one, whether that's virtually or, you know, in person to just share their experience, um, but to use and to follow the rules of reflective listening. So when you order together coffee, (laughs) this is very, I don't think very standard Uh coffee companies. When you order together coffee, you will actually receive this really beautifully designed card that has the rules of reflective listening. And that encourages you to engage in that. And so like as a brand, even thinking through like, how are we using our platform uh, to promote that? And that to me has been a completely personal journey, right? Like when you live in community and honestly, even in the context of marriage, like marriage is, you know, there's community within the home, right? Has been such an exercise in, in that, in learning how to pause, learning how to listen. I think a big thing is learning how to acknowledge how my impact might not necessarily be the same as what my intention was, but how much more beneficial it is in building community. If you allow yourself to hear feedback about the impact that maybe you had on somebody without Mm. immediately jumping to trying to defend yourself or trying to talk about your intention. Well, I didn't mean to do that. Well, you're reading it wrong. By the way, all of these are things that I think I'm passionate about because I'm so naturally bad at, you know, like (laughs) I'm just like, I'm a super hothead. I'm a fast processor. I can be super defensive. I love logic. And if I can argue my way out of, you know, like having to accept responsibility for somebody. That is my natural position. But what I found is that that's not how you build community. And that's not how you build trust in relationships and how powerful it is to sit across from somebody, one, the vulnerability that's required to go to a friend and to say like, hey, this really hurt. Like this really, you know, this really touched something in me. And to build trust in relationship, you begin to believe there's a better chance that that person is going to hear you out and is going to really like acknowledge that even if it was a total miscommunication or it was totally not what your intention was or whatever it is that, that we're not going to jump straight to that, that we're going to sit in that a little bit and that I'm going to hear you. And I'm going to acknowledge, like, I can totally understand how that impacted you. And is there anything else you'd like to share with me? And when you're living life as closely as I am with my friends, that is requisite, right? right? You know, I interact with them 20 times a day, right? I go out in my backyard, you know, for my lunch break and they're out there with their kid. It's just like, our lives are so overlapping. We, again, we share stuff, we make decisions together. So it's Mm -hmm. really like, there's a thousand opportunities every day for these little tiny interactions, right? But if you, if you're not honest and if you don't have that practice, that's what drives people apart, right? Because we start telling stories about one another, right? Like, well, she did that. And especially, man, when you get, we're pretty new into the shared parenting journey. My son, who's four, is the oldest. And then we've got a whole little crop of kids underneath him. Mm -hmm. So we're still relatively new. But man, introducing kids into that. Oh, that's fascinating. Totally different element, right? Because I find in myself, I'm even more kind of defensive and protective about my kids than I am about even my, you know, myself. So it's so easy for me to you know, witness an interaction with my kid and one of my friends that I didn't love. And for me to just start telling myself a story about uh-huh. why she did that, what she thinks about my child, how she thinks she's better than me or her parenting stuff, <laughs> what, you know, like <laughs> yes. so many things. Yeah, And it's really, really vulnerable yeah. to say, Hey, do you have a second? Like, I'd love to talk about 
that little interaction right there and how that made me feel. And when you do that over and over again, and you practice the sense of like, oh, I'm going to, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to lose my lid over hearing that. Like, I'm going to hear you out. We're going to have a conversation about that. Like it's, there's so much intimacy and trust that, that gets built up in that. And I've learned that from this like community, right? Mm. And now like trying to, in a very like literal way, like, okay, how do we use our business? Like, how do we use our like marketing dollars? You know, we made this really beautiful video that's like a short kind of seven minute documentary where we interviewed, we had four kind of conversation partners having a really difficult conversation on camera and using the rules of reflective listening. And it's like, we're using marketing dollars for my company uh, <laughs> to kind of explore this concept and try to encourage our customers to get interested and to kind of try to explore really some of these principles. Yeah, that's so good. Well, even as you're sharing that example of engaging that interaction that you might have witnessed with your friend and your son and that willingness to like step into it with openness and but like you said it builds intimacy and it builds trust and I think one of the things I notice all the time with teams is that we're reluctant to engage in the hard conversations, but sometimes the hard conversations, again, and a lot of it is in how we do it, right? So we have to have some good skills in how we do that. But when we do that, that's where the real beauty and strength of teams is formed. You know, trust is the foundation for every relationship. And especially in the work context, that ability to actually have the difficult conversation, to ask the question, to not fill in the storylines, but seek clarity is so powerful. And yet, in many ways, I think, and of course, we're seeing this on a broad scale right now, just in the dynamics that we're navigating as a country, is that our inability to actually listen well and hear one another and how, when we don't do that, how divided we become. And yeah, clearly, there's applications at every level for us in that, which is yeah. so huge. So Absolutely. huge. I would love, and there's so many different places we could go with this because you just have such so much experience and so much that you're doing in the world right now. But, you know, I talk a lot about the courage and conviction leaders need to do the thing they feel called to do. And I think you you call it or something similar, you call it pluck. Um, (laughs) Tell me more about what that means to you. So pluck means the literal definition of pluck, the noun, not the verb, is spirited and determined courage. I love the word pluck mainly because I mean, one of my favorite things is just the way it sounds, right? It's one Uh of those words that it like totally sounds like what it is, right? Like you got to gather up your pluck, like let's get plucky. Um, (laughs) There's so so, much fun stuff with that. So, so many fun puns, so many fun puns that let's say my publisher did not approve of me officially using it in my book, but you know, (laughs) I can still live my life, right? I was going to say, you still have a podcast and things you can probably oh, yeah, get away with yeah, some of that. Yeah, yeah, My podcast is actually called Plucking Up. So I am not shying away from the pluck funds. But yeah, for me, there is kind of this additional level when I, beyond kind of courage and being brave, it's, it's a specific flavor of that. Because I think for me, being plucky uh, all kind of goes back to this idea of like channeling my inner beginner. And having a courage and bravery that doesn't come out of kind of a sense of bravado or like, I'm not afraid, I can do anything, I believe in myself, I'm super confident, I just need to convince myself and others of that. And more this sense of normalizing failure and rejection and being a beginner and maybe being a little bit in over my head and doing it anyway. And kind of channeling that sense of that sense of fluckiness that it's like, okay, if I'm if I'm feeling those feelings of like, oh my gosh, I'm in over my head. I'm feeling like a fake. Like 
you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. There's a really high chance I'm going to fail switching that narrative from being like, that feels really bad. So I need to kind of puff myself up and instead Hmm. allowing those feelings to be a signal to me of like, Oh, that means like you reached a little bit. You're kind of out of your comfort zone. You are back at the beginning to some degree. And that's awesome. Like own it. That's fun. That's a great place to be in. That's the whole point of learning and leading is to kind of go through these learning journeys, which aren't a stair step to kind of expertise or mastery. It's actually a cycle, right? Right. When I reach mastery and expertise, like it's on me. And the best possible thing I can do is to kind of dive back into the cycle of learning and to kind of put myself back in a position where I feel a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit out of my league and trying to reframe those kind of shame feelings into like, hey, you're back at the beginning. Congratulations. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So take us back a little bit and give us some of the story of starting Seiko and uh, some of those plucky moments for you. Give Give us a little of those highlights. You know, it's interesting because, well, just to give you kind of the short story, I graduated from journalism school with a master's degree in journalism and a lot of big ideas about how to use my communication skills to bring women and girls living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones out of poverty. And turns out that was a really big kind of overwhelming goal for a 22-year-old with like no life (laughs) experience to have. Took a job at a corporate communications firm because it was like, hello, real world. Like I have to start paying bills and you know, right. like yes. figuring this thing out. And I ended up quitting that job only about uh, three months in and buying a one-way plane ticket to Uganda. Really because I had this realization, this conviction really about three months into this corporate job that I had this thing that I said I cared about. Women and girls living in global extreme poverty and conflict. And then when I looked at my life and the kind of the trajectory that I was on, I was like, your relationships, your community, the life that you are like, you know, building is entirely unaffected by that. I frame this moment in my story with this concept of dreaming small. It was this moment in my story where I kind of let go of the big vision and was like, why don't you just start with making a friend first? And like, Hmm. that was really the thing. It was so small. It was so achievable. It was so like unimpressive, right? Like I don't need a million dollar budget for that. I don't need a specific degree. I don't need anybody's permission. And it was so small that it also kind of removed a lot of the excuses. And so I bought a one-way plane ticket and I moved to Uganda. And (laughs) the whole intention was like, just go build a going back to the community value, like go build a community that's actually reflective of the things that you say that you care about. And that's how it all started. One thing led to another thing. And long story short, we now have a multinational, multi-million dollar, socially conscious fashion brand that spans multiple continents. Uh, We're working with artisans all, all across the globe to create opportunities for women and girls living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones and really using business uh, as a way to help bolster and lift up and kind of a launch pad for really academically gifted female scholars. And then just creating really good, dignified, fair wage jobs for global artisans. And then also for women here in the United States through kind of our sales channel. So we've got what we refer to as the Seiko Fellows. And so all of our products are sold through uh, a network of women here in the U.S. that sell the product, whether that's utilizing their kind of online social platforms or doing one-on-one styling events, but they sell the product and earn a commission off of that. 
And so really kind of creating this mutually beneficial global community. That's amazing. And if people want to go check out more about Seiko, where should they go? Seiko Designs, and that's S-S-E-K-O designs.com. And you can visit us, of course, on Facebook and Instagram as well. That's so good. And we'll be sure to link to all of that because I want to help make sure people get connected to the work that you guys are doing. It's so inspiring, Liz. And I just love, just love, even as I'm listening to you, I'm like, there's so things that kind of are core to what has guided you through the years. I hear, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is the significance of our values, how those guide us personally, how they guide us organizationally and like that value of community. Mm. Uh, I just heard that thread, you know, through what you've shared today. And I just want to thank you for just your voice, your influence and the way that you're encouraging us all. Other ways people can get connected to you. The book is Beginner's Pluck, correct? Correct. Yeah. Beginner's Pluck. Beginner's Pluck. So I want to encourage you guys to check that out. And then the podcast is Plucking Up. So anything else? How else can we stay connected to you, Liz? Yeah, I'm probably most active over on Instagram at Liz Bohannon is another way to connect as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking time to hang out with us today. We are cheering you on and uh, hope that the rest of 2020 is, you know what? There's just so much we're all learning from 2020. I hope we all keep (laughs) learning and growing through 2020. Let's say that, right? I love it. It's so true. Awesome. Thanks so much, Liz. Thank you, Jenny. Bye-bye. Well, friends, be sure to check out uh, Liz's book, Beginner's Pluck, and uh, her podcast, Plucking Up. I just love the way Liz thinks. One of the things I reference this at the end of the episode, but one of the things I love about her is you can just hear her values infuse everything she does, right? That value of community, intentionality. You just hear how her values so much have shaped who she is, her business, And that's the thing that I want you to be thinking about as it relates to your organization, your team. What are the values that are shaping how you work, how you think, how you behave as an organization? And I want to encourage you to check out our brand new course, Culture Works, the Values course. This is our first course we've ever launched as an organization, but we specifically take you through that process of defining the values that help enable your team to work together effectively, that reduce micromanagement, they help create alignment, they help your team understand how to make decisions, they equip your team to uh, be able to just feel empowered to make the decisions they need to make to help you achieve the mission. The Values course is designed to do that, and it is now available. So if you go to getforesight.com, it is right there on the homepage. You can click through and you can register for that course because I really believe that values are that, that cornerstone of healthy team culture. So if you're saying, you know what, I can tell our culture is just not in great shape. Our culture is not super healthy. Even if you have a set of values as a team, I want you to take the course because I'm going to give you a lot more framework to help you not just create the values, but have the tools to embed them and make them truly a guiding force inside of your organization. So again, check that out at getforesight.com. I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. That means a ton. I know you kind of, we say that all the time and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it honestly really helps to make sure other people get to hear about the work that we're doing. So when you share it, it is like a thank you note to me. So if you would do that, I would be so grateful. 
And remember, our mission and our vision is to cultivate healthy leaders to lead thriving organizations. So keep leading well, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Jenny Katrin Leadership Podcast. If you have any questions, please email Jenny at podcast at get the number four site.com. If this content has helped you in any way, we would love for you to share this podcast with your friends and on social networks. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing content coming from the Jenny Katrin Leadership Podcast. Your comments mean the world to us, so please rate and leave comments on our podcast. And remember, you need foresight for success. We will see you next time.